Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. Obviously, uh, we're happy to be here. Not easy to get here. There's only 16 of us left, so uh, we take the opportunity very seriously. So we're not here for vacation. We're really happy to be here. Guys have played well through through two games. I think they're excited to play an excellent UConn team. You know, we had a good practice yesterday, a good practice today. Guys are in good spirits and uh, looking forward to competing. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you've been on a team, Candy... Every three-pointer that goes off the glass, oh, that player meant to do that. That player meant to use the window. Uh, the little guy, oh, sorry. Noel just knocked in the three for Kansas State, but then came up a little bit gimpy. Uh, Michigan State, good defense. 57-55 now, 12 minutes left in that one. The must bus has a couple of flat tires right out in front of T-Mobile. It's getting busted up, broken into. 44-27, UConn is blitzing Arkansas. Two minutes left in the half of that one. we got a 6 o'clock game, our time coming up, FAU in Tennessee at MSG. And then, of course, the crown jewel of the day over at the Fortress. UCLA is now a one-point favorite against Gonzaga. That one is set to tip around 6.45, 7 o'clock. Cofield. If Arkansas loses, does that mean does Must put on more clothing? Does he yes. like add a hoodie over yes. Yes. the polo shirt? Is- sure, a hoodie and a mask. Oh, oh! And, so he's and, coming with me and Rob. Sure. Boy, I hate to see this happen to him. Mm. On all those Arkansas, fans. I know you do. You know, it was interesting. I know you're. D- I know this just he, pains you. I saw the the Arkansas uh, radio analyst. Um, Matt Zimmerman, who's been on the games for a while and was a coach there as well, he sent out the message, and so did the, uh, what is it, the Democrat Gazette, is that the paper there, in Little Rock, that uh, Barry Odom's practice, his practices are open. So go on by to to say hi to Barry. And I heard uh, more than a few Arkansas accents when I was out there this morning. Really? Yeah. So they like the guy. Wishing them well. That's uh, that's very kind. It is nice. Too bad they couldn't catch up with uh, Bobby Petrino at the same time. Well... That would have been sweet, but yeah. that didn't work out. I, I like their choice. I like Brendan Marion. He was, he was coaching today, had the cowboy hat on. He's a rancher. We found oh, that I, out in an interview a couple weeks no, ago. We, we, we talked to him together, and I remember very clearly feeling like a wholly inferior man yeah. when we were talking to Brendan Marion. Well, he threw me for a loop because when he said rancher, and I knew you know he had a background coaching in Texas, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. He's you know tumbleweeds and somewhere in the heart of Texas. And he's like, nah, it's in Pennsylvania. Nope. I'm like, what? Pennsylvania. Yeehaw. Yes. Yes. So I got to update you on, uh, this is only one source on this one, but uh, as the craziness is going on around the madness over at the Fortress with the Sweet 16 here in town, the Swifties have descended upon the town. Um, And I will point out, uh, now I'll give the tip in a couple of seconds. Um, One of our friends of the show was saying that his daughter got tickets and apparently the merch shop just opened earlier today. He said they cut off the line right around the uh, where her daughter was standing because the merch store closes at 8 o'clock. It's 5. And his daughter said she was told it's a five-hour wait from this cutoff. 
for merch. Yeah. To buy a shirt mm-hmm. for tickets that cost a lot of people at least four figures. Yes. That you're going to go then add what I'm assuming has to be a $60, $70 t-shirt to the equation. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Here we go. Swifties. I Listen, man, the most I've ever spent on a concert ticket is $200, and it was for Paul McCartney, and I felt like it's the Beatles, right? Like, it's Paul McCartney. It's the Beatles. Don't do this. I, don't I just, do this. I don't want to lose the show. Ah, uh, that's true. Blasphemy. Do not. We have, do not big, do, we have a big crossover demographic, don't we? we? Do. I'm sorry. I don't mean to, I don't mean to offend our... The, like the only crossover demographic is basically Ari, right? Like, like that's basically like where Taylor Swift and Cofield and company come together. No, that's not the person. You know that. I know. Yes, I know exactly who it is. I'm yeah. just not giving it oxygen. Right. That person is what? What is he? 45 now. Uh-huh. Uh, I I met the guy when he was 19, and uh, he still acts like he's 19. But yeah, he loves Swifty. Loves uh, Taylor Swift. So yeah, merch shop get there early. But you know, good for the market. Good for the market. I like it. So, yesterday we had a bunch of big NBA games. And I got to say, so far, because the play of both of them together has been sporadic just in terms of being on the court at the same time, the Mavs move to get Kyrie Irving hasn't really provided a whole lot. I did see that Jaden Hardy again had a monster game, but Irving didn't play. And... Then there was an issue at the end. I'm all for, you know, good, peaceful protest. Fight the man. What was Mark Cuban doing last night? Well, the Dallas Mavericks are right up in it right now. And if you haven't looked at the uh, the Western Conference standings, just go take a look. Because the Suns have 34 losses. They're in fourth place. The Pelicans have 37 losses. They're 12th place. Wow. So it is going to be an absolute dogfight, even to get into the play-in. And so I understand the tensions are running high here at the moment. But what a weird situation last night with the Mavs. Okay, so they're playing the Warriors. Ball goes out of bounds. Officials indicate that it's going to be what would have been Mavericks ball. But there was a second signal saying, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, wrong way. This is going to go to Golden State. Okay, so everybody goes into a mandatory timeout, right? TV timeout comes, and now we come out of the timeout, and the Warriors are basically standing there underneath their own basket waiting for the ball, and there's no Mavericks in sight. And so what happens is ultimately they give to the referees, they give the ball to the Warriors with no defense there. The Warriors throw the ball in, get the layup. This is the end of the third quarter. And they end up winning the game by two. Now, did they lose because of this? No. But Mark Cuban was so upset about this that he's out there on the floor, on the floor, talking to the broadcast crew, trying to figure out what's going on. Bro, it's a basketball game, and you are not supposed to be out. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care what you are allowed to do outside of the NBA arena, you are not supposed to be on the floor, bro. That that just does not come with your purchase. It was crazy. And he came on social media afterward. He explained the whole thing, basically said the referees never told the Mavericks that they weren't getting the ball. The referees basically came out and said, yeah, we actually made the second signal before the timeout, right? Jason Kidd said there was confusion. Look, it's a terrible look for the referees. I'm not going to, you know, you know who I am. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say the referees... Uh, clearly did everything right. 
But you being on the floor is the wrongest of all of it. Last night also marked the return of John Morant, who came off the bench, played 23 minutes, had 17 points for the Grizz. I don't think most people look at the Grizz as a legit playoff contender, which I find just insane. Right now they're the two seed in the West, although they can't win on the road. But they were at home last night, and they were playing a really bad Houston team, and then John Morant spoke. This was interesting. Um, I'm thankful and, you know, grateful for everybody, you know, who's been supporting me, you know, during this time. Um, it definitely, you know, helped me a lot, you know, definitely made me, you know, feel a little better, um, you know, ease, you know, everything that's going on. Felt good to be back, you know, super excited, you know, glad we was able to get the win. Okay. So nothing, you know, scintillating in what he said there, but do you have concerns about the Grizz bringing him back if he's not fully healed from buffoonery? I'm one of the people, by the way, Cofield, who are going to tell you that the Grizzlies aren't going anywhere this year. This team doesn't have enough cohesion. They don't have enough leadership. Uh, you know I'm Mr. Analytics when it comes to talking about these things, but there are things beyond the analytics that are wrong with the Memphis Grizzlies, and it starts with John Morant. And I don't need to detail what happened with the Instagram Live with the gun, with the alleged situation at his house with punching a teenager, with rolling up to the mall with his crew to defend his mother. There are all sorts of stories here about what went on with John Morant, but we went from Jaws going to step away for a while and try to figure out how to deal with his stress to Jaws coming off the bench and scoring 17 in about two weeks' time. And it feels to me like those three days, essentially, that he was in some sort of, what, rehab in Florida? I don't know exactly what they're calling it but learning how to better deal with his stress. And this is the statement that came from the team, that he needed to better learn how to deal with his stress. Well, if the level of stress that he was under led him to be flashing a gun on Instagram Live in a strip club, in addition to the other things that have been alleged, somehow I feel like it was a little more performative than it was a solution over the course of three days for John Morant. And so whoever's forcing this, whoever's putting him back in, the eight-game suspension he got from the NBA, none of it feels sufficient. It all feels to me like this guy has real problems that need to be dealt with. The team said it themselves. And so we're on this point where if one more thing goes wrong with John Moran, it's not like he's going to be out of the league, but any grace period that anyone had with this is gone. Absolutely gone. What would have been the harm of him sitting out the rest of the regular season? Really? Because that's for the sake of not only John Morant, but for the rest of the Grizzlies franchise that have invested a max contract in him. It all just feels like what we went through with this was just saying, oh yeah, let's just check the PR boxes and make sure that we've done all the things that we can say we did something for John Morant, and yet here he comes back so quickly that there's nothing real that they could have done to fix this. And it's going to be, in the end, it's going to be a lot more on the Grizzlies and the NBA and everybody around John Morant that it's going to be on him if this goes wrong again. ESPN Las Vegas live at Silver 7s, tracking the Sweet 16. we got the game uh, just across town, halftime now. Connecticut 46-29 against Arkansas. Michigan State and K-State going back and forth, back and forth. It's 67-66. to Michigan State leads, again, eight minutes left in that one. So I jokingly said at the start of the show with that story that came across about UConn having to change hotels here in Vegas, fade the Huskies. They're fine. Uh, they're up 17. But you briefly touched on a point that is is really fascinating and there's some layers to it wait 
UConn and these other teams are staying on the strip. So UConn was at the Luxor. Apparently, they checked into rooms, and at least one of the room or rooms was just horrendous, vomit, you know, hadn't been cleaned up. So they're like, we got to get the hell out of here, right? It's a bad look for Vegas. It's a bad look for the Luxor and the parent company. You know, let's throw some money into the hotel, right? Come on. Um, but the weird thing is we're dealing with an NCAA. We've talked about the story all week. They were terrified, terrified of bringing their tournament and really embracing Vegas, bringing their tournament to Vegas and embracing Vegas. And then the first time they're here with a mega event, they're like, yeah, put the kids up on the strip. And why is that strange, Candy? Well, for anyone who's been around UNLV athletics for any length of time, you know the teams that have come to play against UNLV in all sports don't stay on the strip. They stay at Hyatt's and Marriott's. They stay at the Renaissance. They stay at various properties on so, Paradise uh, Road. Uh, and I'll point out sometimes, uh, like I think New Mexico in the past has stayed at the South Point. But, you know, the South Point is an isolated spot. You still have some of the things that go on on the strip, but it's not all bundled together. If the NCAA is so afraid of the strip the first time they're here for a big event, I mean, I don't. I think they should be able to stay on the strip, and it's fine. But the first time you come here, you're like, yep, let's go right to the strip. All fairs are gone. Look, there's a question of of the letter of the law and the spirit of the law here, right? Should they be allowed if they so choose? Yeah, go ahead. It's on you and your program to watch your kids. But if the whole idea was we don't want people exposed to the element, you don't want gambling around, what's going to happen if kids wander down to the sports book just because they want to see what it looks like? Right. And someone photographs them in there hanging out in the sports book. That's exactly the kind of perception problem that you've been trying to avoid this whole time. And so now the NCAA allows the tournament to be here and you're putting kids up on the strip? Yes, I understand it happens from time to time with the conference tournaments. I'm not saying that makes it any better if the Pac-12 or the West Coast or anybody else wants to have the kids staying in a hotel property. It's a money decision. And if they want to trust the programs to take care of their players, then sure. But it just goes to highlight for me how this wasn't done with the NCAA coming here for March Madness with some sort of like, okay, well, let's be cautious. Let's put the guardrails on, make sure this gets executed in the best possible way. No, it was just throw the shackles off and let's go whole hog into Vegas the same way that we've seen with all the pro sports leagues that said that gambling was going to be a threat to their integrity, and now they're, some of them own pieces of sports books. Well, for the kids, you know, if you want to come over to Silver 7s on the off day or before you get out of town, you can sign up for the A-Play card. It really is great. Uh, and accru- I mean, hey, if, you, you know, if you're going to scare the NCAA, you may, may as well accrue points here at Silver 7s. Hey, I'm going to segue no matter what. So, uh, yeah, the A-Play is great because when you pick up those points, they have free gift giveaways on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Fridays. All month on Fridays in March, uh, they've got their gift giveaway uh, earlier in the month, stuff like a three-in-one robotic cleaner. I love those. I love those. This is the most exciting giveaway I've seen. Tomorrow, Friday's gift giveaway is simply pick a gift. This place is going to be crazy. What is available? The suspense. That is awesome. Yeah, they have gift giveaways Tuesday, Wednesday, and Fridays. They do it every month throughout the year. The A-Play card is dynamite. Here at Silver 7s, it's located at Flamingo and Paradise. Fridays and Saturdays, $500 hourly free play drawings from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. All February long at Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. 
All right, man, Michigan State and K-State, really good game. 77-73, four minutes left. The Wildcats are leading Candy. Have we come out of half over at T-Mobile? Yes, we have. Arkansas trailing by 17 in that one. Actually, I'll correct myself. Uh, They're about to start here in just a couple minutes. Gonzaga-UCLA. At 6.45, depending on uh, how long that Arkansas-Connecticut game goes. So that was Mark Few on the way back. And, you know, while Mark Few at times irks me, because he's a moody guy, right? He's a moody guy. Um, he has been a proponent, and Gonzaga has been a big proponent of Vegas. So it was good to hear him talk about how cool it is here. WCC made a big commitment to come here, and it's paid off for the uh, property over at the Orleans and for the West Coast Conference and for the fans of the conference. When Candy's on, we'll, I'm not saying we do this every time, But we'll go stronger sometimes on officiating topics like Mark Cuban earlier. But I also like to lean on you because, you know, you did a lot of play-by-play in your day, and I'm sure you're going to do some more in the future when you make a decision on uh, officiating and all that stuff. So I have a real appreciation for play-by-play, how the broadcast breaks down, where the analyst fits in, how you execute calls. And I thought this call last week by Kevin Harlan, who is one of the, you know, four or five best play-by-play guys in the country. He's great on football. He's probably even better on basketball, college, and the NBA. This was his call of that Furman, Virginia game. Now, for Virginia, you got to take care of the ball against the pressure you're going to see is the most important thing here. Clark in a straight jacket. Oh, he didn't need to do that. He threw it away. Hitting Pickies. Furman leads. Timeout, Virginia. That was a great call. Well, there was a camera fixated on the set there with the Hedgehog and Harlan, and Dan Bonner was on there as well. I thought it was cool seeing, you know, how guys kind of move and react. You never see that with, well, certainly with radio people, but you seldom see it with TV people. So there was a video out this week showing Harlan. He was very animated, and then he said he was actually kind of embarrassed that that came out. What do you think he was talking about? First of all, Kevin Harlan is the best active play-by-play person. Ooh, the best. The world. It's, it's, not, it's not all that close for me. And if you've ever heard him do radio, you'll understand the fact that he can switch seamlessly between TV and radio. He does the Westwood One Monday Night Football call. He's even better on radio. The descriptions he comes up with. And even did you just hear that right there? Talking about the guy in a straight jacket trapped on the end line? That kind of description is outstanding, but I know why he felt a little bit self-conscious seeing that video out there because part of what you see on the video <laughs> is that as soon as he makes the call about the uh, shot and says that you know, Furman takes the lead, he throws his arms out to the sides and he texts, uh, I should say, he, uh, he makes it so that people cannot say anything else. He wants them to lay out yep. in play-by-play terms, right? And what he's doing is he's working with a partner that he hasn't spent a lot of time working yeah. with, yeah. right? So he has to tell Stan Van Gundy, hey, don't say anything right now. We're letting the crowd shot pick up here, and then I'm yeah. going to jump in with one more thing to, ca- to capture this whole moment. But you ever see actors like on late-night shows, and they ask, like, 
oh, do you ever go watch your own movies? Like, do you ever go to the movie theater and watch yourself on screen? And invariably, the actors are like, yeah, I cringe when I see myself on screen. Like, I do not like looking at myself acting at all. Trust me, I don't want to see myself doing play-by-play or radio. Like, if I had to re-watch all of this later and see myself on video, I think that I would probably want to crawl into a hole. So I get where he's coming from. <laughs> I loved what he did, though, because I knew exactly what he was doing, and so did you, that there is a role on the staff. And when something magical happens, the play-by-play guy has to finish the call. And you also needed a couple of seconds to let it breathe and then build to the you know the final crescendo. And Stan Van Gundy hasn't really been broadcasting. But I, you know what? I'll give Van Gundy a lot of credit. Like, he didn't get mad. He was a little bit shocked. You could see him. He's like, okay, I guess... You know, but he's a coach. Like, you, you understand that, you know, there's a way things work. And unfortunately, uh, well, I'll say it this way. What I like about Harlan is that he got proactive because I think a lot of play-by-play announcers and especially sports talk hosts are afraid of the athlete or the coach who's with them. No, 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 no. You are in my world. I have a way to do things. I know what I'm doing. And you're going to learn. And I'm going to learn from you I, if you're a good broadcaster, right? You set up. The, the experts in certain spots. You do that on Sports Talk Radio, but like Willie retweeted that. Willie Ramirez retweeted it, and he was like, oh, that's like Cofield and Studio. Because there are times I will put up a stop sign. Like if I am going on a rant, or other times I'm going to break, I know what I'm going to. We have a prize or to something promotionally. I will, I will put up my hand and be like, no, no, I'm going. And believe me, we're not all great on the show of not stepping on rants. It's a big thing for me where it's like, if. I want to give everyone time. If you have whatever, 45 seconds or a minute you need, I'm getting the hell out of the way, and I would hope you do the same thing for me. But the whole point is there's a you know, there's a machination about doing broadcasts, and I, I thought that was really cool that Harlan was like, no, puts his arm up like, you know, he was going into a freaking hard break on the road and protecting his daughter. You know, the arm is out in the front seat, the bench seat. It was like, I'm going. You don't need to speak right now. And the thing about Kevin Harlan in particular is he knows the code. And the code for a play-by-play broadcaster, and this is a little bit of inside baseball behind the curtain for everybody out there, you're there to set up the analyst. That's what you're taught from day one. You're there to set up the color person. Well, in that moment, Kevin Harlan owned it. My Lord, if we get a game like that in this Michigan State-Kansas State game, that would be awesome. And right now, it's moving there. Four-point lead, K-State. Just hit a 17-footer, a minute left, K-State leading Michigan State. So, you know, all this March Madness, and especially being here in Vegas, reminds us of the glory years here, Candy, where getting to the Final Four was an expectation years and years and years ago. And Anderson Hunt was one of those guys who helped the Rebels get to multiple Final Fours. Willie Ramirez caught up with Anderson. And, you know, the other thing that – brings back memories of is the NCAA's you know 30-year fight against Tark and then against Vegas and uh, Willie started off the conversation with Anderson Hunt asking him hey what do you think of all of this with the NCAA very much embracing Sin City yeah it's surprising but you know the money out here <laughs> wherever the money at the NCAA want to go get part of and the the vibe that's in Las Vegas the uh you know the electricity we haven't really seen this since the heyday of the running rebels. Yeah, true. You know, like I said, uh, you know, Coach Tark, you know, had this vision a long time ago. And, you know, but it's good for the city. It's great for the city. 
I can I can honestly say that. We a lot of people have had different takes as to, you know, uh, what Coach Tark is looking down from above, saying, thinking. Uh, had he ever said anything backed into to, to any of you guys, a championship team, like one day they're going to come around or one day they're going to see? Did, did, was there ever some vision from Coach Tark as to what this town could be like? Oh, yeah. He, he used to always mention that. We know what this town could be like. But I, he was a visionary. You know, Tark was one of those guys that changed the, the um, way college basketball is played. You know, and, and he knew, you know, and he, plus he was in the town. You know, this this is a town where they they accept a lot of stuff. They accept everybody. You know, it's a tourist town, but the locals here, they love the city, you know, and they, you know, they have a lot of pride. But Coach Clark knew way back then that we was going, you know, UNLV could have been good for years and years, but they, you know, they ran them out, you know. So I don't know, but he always used to talk about it. What it could be like. March Madness will have your mind wandering to think about what the lineup would have been like if the NC2A wasn't sort of always on Tark's heels in terms of like the after you guys, right? With J.R., Everick, and Dexter in place, Elmore here, but the Ed O'Bannons, the Sean Tarvers, the Jason Kids, the guys that were committed and ready to come to Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. Then, I, then before then, uh, we were supposed to get Sean Kemp. And, you know, Chris Mills came on a visit. Uh, we had Clifford Allen. A lot of people don't remember Clifford Allen. Clifford Allen was a, a pro prospect, but he just couldn't, you know, get his grades right. You know, and uh, my boy Barry Young. We had a bunch of talent. And I think Jaden Rose could have came here. Yeah, he wanted, to, he wanted to come here. But, you know, once, um, you know, Michigan put that bag on him, it was a wrap. <laughs> well, the, and here's the thing is there were a lot of programs that were operating, you know, to, to get the top players. And that's just the way that it was. Um, but now you look at what the NC2A is doing with NIL and name image likeness. Um, can you imagine the money that could have been made and a lot of the, um, let's say, headaches that would have been avoided if they would have been making money off student athletes 30 years ago and allowed them to profit off their name, image, and likeness. Like, like I said, before, it was before the era. You know, NCAA is old-fashioned and it's me, 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 me. It's not a, really about um, a student athlete getting exploited or, um, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. It's about really money. It's, it's, it's a catch-22, you know. Like I said, I'm happy for the city, but, you know, it's... It was a lot of people that got hurt by it. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people got hurt by it. And, and the town overall um, got hurt by it. Former running rebel Anderson Hunt joining us on Cofield and Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. In terms of, you know, running a beloved person like Jerry Tarkanian out um, after y'all lost in the uh, national semifinal to Duke, that, that team the following year, you don't know how far of a run that team could have made with Jr. Dexter, and Everick. Yeah, they would have went right back to probably the Final Four. Cause they had a good team. That year they beat Shaq, the LSU, and, and, um, and um, the Shark Tank. Um, I had loved school, but, I've, you know, you know, thinking back about the state, you know, we, you know, we had a good team. You know, they had a good team. So I think they could have went back to the Final Four. They only lost to Missouri and Rutgers that year. So it was like 26-2, and two, something like that. Something like that. There he is, Anderson on. Long conversation. We'll have more of that conversation uh, later in the week. 
But Anderson Hunt catching up with Willie Ramirez. And Anderson was a big part, Candy, of the uh, Paul Gutierrez story about the war the NCAA waged on Tark and eventually Vegas until things softened a bit in the 2010s and probably when Lon Kruger you know, started out and Jim Livengood. Uh, Dan Wolken's story yesterday in USA Today pointed that out. So did Paul Gutierrez pointed out that Jim Livengood was a big part of the cooling off between the city and the school and the NCAA. It is, I always find it fascinating, that whole conversation of what was going to happen and what could have been after the great years with the LJ group, with Anderson Hunt, with Greg Anthony. What was going to happen on the recruiting front? And all the players he mentioned. And those players all landed at other Blue Bloods. You know? <laughs> Sean Campbell. T- it's funny. They got UNLV first, and then as time went along, the other guys he mentioned took down other programs. Jalen Rose, Michigan went down eventually. It was really around Chris Weber. Kentucky went down freaking hard. I mentioned the other day, Jason Kidd, eventually Cal went down hard. So I guess in a way, you know, when Tark complained about selective enforcement, that was the era where they started getting other schools. But the problem was uh, some of the other, you know, it's funny. If you get five schools that swim in the same pool and get the recruits, right, and there are four others, who also get those same recruits, and nothing happens to them. Well, what was going on at those places? So they weren't paying and cheating and giving extra benefits to get the players? Or they were, and you just chose not to go after them, like Duke and North Carolina. This was a different situation in a different time. I'm not combating you at all, Cofield. It's more just to say that Jerry Tarkanian, more than any other coach, was willing to stick it back in the NCAA's exactly. face. Didn't he play nice. Play, he just wouldn't play the game. Yep. And that is not an indictment of Tark in any way. Wow. That was his choice to do, to do it that way. He would not play the game in the NCAA. If you know anything about the way the organization operated at that time, they knew plenty. They chose to enforce what they wanted to at the time, and UNLV got the worst of it. 364-1100, Giveaway time. George Thorogood, Destroyers. 50 Years of Rock Tour, Palms at the Pearl. Awesome, awesome theater there. This Saturday, George Thurgood in town with the Destroyers. Ticketmaster.com is where you can grab your tickets. But Ari's got a pair right now for George Thurgood this weekend. 364-1100, caller 7. Sign up for an A-Play card and receive a guaranteed $10 in free play with a chance to win up to $150 in free play at the William Hill Race and Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Boy, we got a crazy game going on right now, Candy. Crazy. What a start to the Sweet 16. K-State and Michigan State are in overtime. There was a uh, furious finish where Kansas State had a chance to win the game. At the end of regulation, they couldn't hit what amounted to uh, a contested short layup. There's 129 left. K-State's shooting free throws are down a point. So now it's at 92s with 90 seconds left. This is crazy. We're not so lucky here in town where 
Uh, cream of the crop so far in our bracket is UConn. It's a 15-point game. Man, I just saw it a couple minutes ago. It was 22, so Arkansas just last gap. Nope, check that. My math sucks. It's 22, so it's 68-46, 12 minutes left in that one. So must bus just getting blown up by the, the Huskies. But, boy, it's funny watching. I was just looking at Kansas State's defensive numbers, and I'm like, well, does Kansas State suck on defense? No, they were actually pretty good during the year. They were a top-20 defensive team. But Michigan State looks like a completely different team in this tournament, not playing the Big Ten. Amazing what happens when you don't have to win 50 to 47 rock fights every night yep. to uh, be able to survive. You're not getting beaten to hell. This is something Scott Van Pelt talked about on his podcast this week, and he discussed the fact that Big Ten officiating needs to get better. Basically said that the officials let way too much go, and that that's part of the reason that you end up seeing so many of these low-scoring games that are so ugly. I mean, I talked about it all year and going into the tournament that I was going to fade Big Ten teams because of the brand of basketball they play. It's brawl ball. It's bully ball. And too much of it is built around two traditional bigs. So they allow, you know, six, nine, and seven-foot guys of the four and five to beat the crap out of each other. And the brand of basketball stinks. And like you said, it's rock fight, grind it out, play to play. Um, teams that win generally in the NCAA tournament these days are good defensively, but they can also switch. And they have the versatility to go double big, but a lot of times they can go one big, four smalls, and run and hit threes. Look, bigs aren't extinct. Basketball still no, needs no. to be rebounded, but it's a guard's game. It is. It, it, nationally, it's a guard's game. And it's not to say Michigan State doesn't have guards, but they don't have Marquise Noel, who has 18 and 17 assists on a bad ankle that he hurt during this game right now. Yeah, 92s. One eleven left, and like I said, uh, just across town from where we are here at Silver Sevens, it's seventy-one forty-six now. Huskies are on top of Arkansas. Get in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Crowd, crowd's gone crazy here. Kansas State just hit a shot. Um, is this a big game for the Knights tonight? I think mentally, it's a big game for the Golden Knights, just because over the years they played so poorly in Calgary. Um, is it a big game in the standings? Yeah, I mean, because they're right there with the Los Angeles Kings and yep. makes a big difference uh, in the long run whether they win this game. But I, I've really been impressed, honestly, lately with the with the Golden Knights, Cofield. I, I thought that the game that they played the other night where they get four goals and two of them come from players that I guarantee you nobody could pick out of a lineup who has not been following this team day in and day out. Teddy Bluger and Pavel Dorofeyev get two of the goals out of the four. And one of the other goals came from the guy who might have, might be the most maligned player in the lineup all year long, and Phil Kessel, who hasn't even drawn in every night. So when they're trying to get by without Mark Stone and playing the way that they have over the last couple of weeks, it is encouraging if you're a Knights fan to see this kind of performance from the roster all the way up and down. But there is a mental thing, I think, with this team and the way they've played in Calgary and the way they've been blown out so many times up there. Right. They got uh, just crushed off a road trip here, 7-2. to two. That was last Thursday against the Flames. By the way, in the Michigan State-K-State game, oh, my God, that is a terrible call. They just called a foul on a three ball. What are they doing here? It looked Fouls like on the push-through. Fouls on the screen. Is it offensive? Fouls on the screen, and what they're doing is they're going to be at the monitor to figure out when this, okay. when this happened. Yeah, yeah. 
I thought they called. I thought they called a defensive foul on the guy who was falling at the three-point shooter's feet. Yeah. The so this, if you look at the way they're going to call this, the shot didn't go, so it doesn't really matter right. in the end. But it's going to be a matter of when the ball gets shot, and if Michigan State still had the ball, they're going to get it back. If the ball had been released, they're going to go to the arrow. All right. All right. We'll try to get to the final of this game. Before we get out of here, you know, I wanted to mention one more thing about the Knights and the job that, as you said, they're they're doing a good job. Their trades look like they're working out so far, uh, but the record at 44, 21 and six, and hot as hell of late. I tried to get Millard to bite on this one the other day, but you know, he, whatever, he wouldn't bite. Um, all coaches have to tinker throughout the season, and especially the last couple of years with the Knights because of all the injuries. And this this year has been crazy with the goaltenders having to go like five or six deep. Who do you trust, looking back, when you say, hey, this coach has got to tinker with the team, got to come up with you know the right lines and what's going to happen with the goaltenders and deal with all the injuries, who do you trust more as a tinkerer? Bruce Cassidy, Pete DeBoer, or Gerard Glant? Pete DeBoer has been pretty clear with the way he did things. Like He would start the game with a certain lineup, and then you get to about the third period, and then things would change, right? Bruce Cassidy is willing to do it at any point during the game. Gerard Gallant tended to stick with things pretty long. So I think just because Bruce Cassidy has a, plays this thing by feel and kind of goes through the game and makes the adjustments as he goes, that I'm willing to play along with, uh, with the new coach. And I think that's the whole idea, right? The Knights weren't getting where they wanted to go, right or wrong, in firing Pete DeBoer. I still don't think they should have fired Pete DeBoer. But if you're going to give Bruce Cassidy a chance to tinker, then I think he's got to be the guy that you say, all right, man, like I trust you to go ahead and make these uh, changes mid-game the way you do. In the bag, please. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So, you know, we put together a prep sheet every day, right? We all send in stories, and then we put together a rundown. And Willie has sent this sort of story over several times because I think it's happened several times. What is going on with the NHL and Pride Nights and Rainbow Flags? All right, so this got a different spin put on it today because the Chicago Blackhawks announced that they're not going to ask any of their players anymore to wear the pregame Pride jerseys celebrating LGBTQ Pride. And they did it because they said the it's because of security concerns because the Russian government passed a law in December that threatened serious consequences for any public support for uh, gay, lesbian, etc. Hmm. And that, to me, says exactly why these nights need to be had. This is why we're doing it, because there are people far beyond hockey players. There are people who just can't speak up. There are people who don't have the right to speak up. There are people around the world who fear speaking up for who they are and who they love, and that's why these nights are important. And I think there is, there's a set out there that's like, whoa, stick to sports. Don't throw this in my face. right? Well, for some of these guys, it absolutely is about sports and about their rights, and for some of them who might be either very close to people who are of this community or potentially in this community themselves, it means even more. And they just had uh, the uh, the Stahl brothers put out a statement earlier today saying that they respect all people, but that it violates their Christian beliefs, and so they're not going to wear 
the Pride jerseys before the game. And, and this is the part that gets me, they won't be saying any more about it. They won't be taking any <laughs> more questions about right. it. Right. It's so important that they're going to go silent from here. Well, and, and think about it in the, in the reverse. Could Colin Kaepernick have said, I'm just not going to say any more about this. I, I, I'm going to choose to make my protest, and, and I won't say another word. No one would have stood for that. No one would go for it. Are we going to allow them to just lean on whatever they say and not say any more about something that they're doing that is probably highly offensive to a marginalized community? We'll find out, I guess. Well, I gotta, I, before I speak on this, I really do have to read more on it. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. And you sent over the story, so i got to get into this more because uh, this is obviously a growing problem. The whole Russian thing is interesting going back to last year with the war waged on Ukraine. And, you know, if the NHL needs to take any, you know, any sort of action. Here's the thing about the NHL and GAR. What is the NHL going to do about this? They're going to step right in and make some recommendations, get involved in the fight? No. They know that their pipeline to Russian talent could be significantly affected yeah. were they to do anything. About but when has the league really stood up? You know, kind of puff his there. chest out on behalf of a cause, or even tried to help with an issue. And this, and this one is a complicated issue. It, no, it's extremely complicated, and the NHL has its own larger. I'm not going to say larger is the wrong word. Its own unique issues to deal with when it comes to the bullying and hazing scandals that they've dealt with over time. The fact that they have essentially rejected CTE findings about uh, what's happened to their players over the course of time. Like, the NHL has its own battles that it doesn't need to necessarily wade, wade into this one. But this is a battle that is being fought by a lot of people who probably are hockey fans who would like to know where both their teams and the league and maybe their favorite players stand on this. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So one more time I want to tell you, because it was a story that broke a little earlier in the day, Tom Brady is now officially part of the Las Vegas community, aside from the property he owns up on the uh, west side. I think in a collective, uh, he is now a small owner of the Las Vegas Aces. One more time in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I wanted to see how our poll question did from earlier in the day. Did you check this one out? Uh, they were doing a charitable event on the campus of UNLV, and people had a chance to smash a pie in the face of folks from UNLV Athletics. Yeah. The question that was put up on the web on ESPN Las Vegas, and please go answer it. We want your take on this one. Who would be your choice to put a pie in the face? Eric Harper, Barry Odom, Lindy LaRock, Kevin Kruger. They were all there. They all took pies to the face. Candy, who do you think is leading right now? Uh, I'm going to go with Kevin Kruger. He is leading right now. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately... Uh, come on, everybody! The guy's got a newborn. He's working the transfer portal. Give him a break.